0: Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm health Co I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. Hello, welcome to the Heal Thy Skin Podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I am traveling virtually to New York to speak with Kayla Jettner, who is a chronic illness and disability advocate, and also the woman behind the Instagram account. Today we are speaking about toxic positivity. What is it? Well, good vibes only. And positivity is a concept where people believe in keeping only the positive and rejecting any negative thoughts and notions, which has totally become a trend, right? But this can sometimes be negative. And we're going to talk today about in what context it can be, especially when it comes to disability and chronic conditions and visible skin differences. Uh, the first question that I asked Kayla was what she thought was the, the biggest misconception about toxic positivity and positivity in general.
1: I think the biggest misconception about being positive is that being positive doesn't mean ignoring the negative. It's important to still feel things like sadness and anger, frustration, nervousness, and all of that, that we consider to be negative. But being positive is more of enjoying times that are good and not taking happy times for granted. And in order to do that, you still have to feel the negative to understand how great the positive can be.
0: Yeah, I love that. Life is full of polarities, isn't it? And really to enjoy the good times, we have to also appreciate and go through the bad as well. Tell us about your story.
1: So when I was born, I was given a 3% survival chance. I had respiratory complications from birth and had to be put in NICU and put on breathing treatments immediately. Throughout my childhood, we assumed that there was an allergic asthma aspect. I was in and out of the hospital a lot. Lots of doctor's appointments, testing through kind of the elementary school, primary school ages up through my high school years. But for me, a lot of that was like normal. I didn't realize that other kids didn't go through this and I was going through it since birth. So I kind of assumed growing up that like all the other kids running around in the playground also just had to get picked up to go to the doctors at some point. It really wasn't until high school that it kind of caught on that not everybody was living the same life. And from that, I kind of realized a lot of the symptoms I have that I always just assumed were normal, weren't normal. Eventually, I got a classical Ehlers-Danlos syndrome diagnosis that we think is responsible for a lot of respiratory complications as well as a diaphragm paralysis and vocal cord paralysis that would add to all my respiratory stuff. And then eventually in college, there was a big decline in my health. I eventually got diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, as well as like the gastroparesis that ended up coming along with that. But the big move for me was really that I learned to take kind of control of my own health. I had to get off my parents' health insurance for the first time. So I had to learn how to navigate that. But I got to also learn how to choose my own doctors and form my own team. And I was lucky to be in an area that gave that to me. And really the last couple of years have just kind of been about learning to trust myself and my body and doing what I have to do to take care of that.
0: Hmm, Wow, what a journey. And that must have been quite scary in ways to realize, okay, I'm independent now. I really have to take responsibility and control of my own health. What was like that first couple of months, like for you, what was going through your mind?
1: Oh, it's terrifying. I mean, the insurance alone was so crazy trying to figure that out and living in like New York city for the first time and doing it all. And the biggest thing was just trying to like figure out how to grab my own doctors. No one ever like talks about it in school, how to do something like that, which seems like an obvious point of adulthood and especially just feeling kind of alone doing it. That my parents aren't there to help me, my friends aren't going through the same thing as me, and just trying to build my own medical team and navigate that entire world kind of free flying.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that was really difficult. And so you're studying in New York City. So, as well as being out of home, being independent, you know, with your medical team as well like study can be extremely stressful, different lifestyle. You don't necessarily have someone that's cooking you healthy meals and things like that. How did you navigate, I guess, being able to enjoy all those times with your peers, but then also kind of managing
1: your chronic illnesses as well? Learning to listen to my body was a really big part in that and kind of trusting that instinct that I have. It was important to know if I was going out at night, I needed to have medication with me. And I needed to have like an emergency card that someone could access, God forbid, the worst, the worst comes along. And that kind of became a mindset for a lot of situations of if the worst of the worst happens, do I have what I need to be okay? Eventually that meant packing a bag that had medical tools in it, just in case, and had, you know, medical history records and stuff inside, just in case something happened, knowing that I can't do everything that everybody else does and then learning to kind of be okay knowing that I have to say no to things at times.
0: Yeah. So not kind of going with the FOMO as you may have heard fear (laughs) of missing out, which can be pretty challenging when you're a young adult in the big wide world in New York city. I mean, come on. So at what point did you start your Instagram account, Chronically Kayla, your goal in starting it? Was it around this college time?
1: It was right in the middle of that, I had found kind of the spoony chronic illness community online, first in like kind of Tumblr a few years earlier and then eventually kind of watched it move to Instagram. So I kind of realized that my story even among a lot of chronic illness people was kind of a unique one. So it kind of began, I just wanted to share the life I have growing up sick. I wanted to kind of get that word out to other people, but I really found kind of a home within that community there so the Instagram account really was made to kind of connect with people and help foster that community that everybody was building that I thought was so great. And that eventually I saw people who weren't sick or who had a sick kid or doctors who wanted to hear my story too. They were coming on and talking to me and interacting with everything. So it kind of just grew into a mixture of my own experiences and then the advocacy and education around chronic illness and disability.
0: Yeah, amazing. And when you were younger, Did you have any role models that you looked up to or any kind of support network, especially in those fundamental years when you realized, oh, other people aren't going to so many doctor's appointments. And I do have some other medical things that may stop me from doing some things that other kids are doing.
1: It's so weird. There just wasn't a lot, I think, growing up. The only thing I ever remember is an episode of House where one of their patients got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And that was like the first time I saw something that was like me represented. As a teenager, I used to watch like Claire Wineland on YouTube who had cystic fibrosis. And I know she talked about starting it, about wanting to be the person, the role model that she wanted as a kid. And I related to that so hard. And I think that's a lot of why I enjoy running the Instagram account to kind of be the person I didn't have growing up.
0: Yeah. And it's so wonderful that you've been able to do that. And just the power of social media to be able to connect with people from all over the globe. And I would love to hear some stories. We'll talk about some in a little while about some of those connections that you've made just through social media and some of the things that you've done. But today we really wanted to talk to you about toxic positivity. It's something that you talk about. It's something that we can see with someone that has chronic illness. It might even people that have certain skin conditions or they may have had certain diagnosis or a visible skin difference and this idea of toxic positivity it's not something that's spoken about a lot I think you know the last 10 years or so there's been a lot about being grateful and writing gratefulness journal which is really really important but then the other flip side of being positive so what exactly is toxic positivity
1: Exactly. Like, it's definitely a new thing coming in a circle, but I'm really glad it's a conversation being had. For me, toxic positivity is kind of the idea of just forcing happiness and joy 24 seven. It's saying that we need to see the good in situations. And even when they're bad, kind of trying to see that good in it, no matter what. And that's just not a realistic goal for a lot of people, even with simple things like good vibes only kind of motto that a lot of kids like, they're all, it's really simple. We don't really think about it, but it still kind of continues to perpetuate the idea that we can't be upset or negative. And it's kind of blocking out and ignoring any sort of negative emotions and stigmatizing having like a bad feeling or being sad or angry like that.
0: Yeah, interesting definition. So talk to us about toxic positivity in the context of like healing, chronic illness, disability.
1: Yeah. So I know you were talking to about especially people who have like really visual disabilities, whether it's like something on the skin or even like, you know, any sort of limb problems or something. like when any time a disability is visual, we see people wanting to force a narrative that you have to be happy about it and that you have to be able to see like the good side, whatever it is, the situation that you're going through people tend to push this on to like disabled people or anybody who's like chronically ill that we always have to be happy about our illness in order for us to be stomachable to people who are healthy and who are able-bodied.
0: Why do you think this occurs? Is this because there's like this underlying stigma that none of us feel like we should be able to be in touch with our emotions and especially express negative emotions because there's this idea that negative emotions are bad or do you think it's that someone that doesn't have a chronic illness or maybe they haven't been around someone with a chronic illness or disability is uncomfortable so like it's probably a mixture of both but from your experience what do you think is the reason behind it
1: I think it definitely is a mixture of both. I mean, I know even hanging out with people or going to a party, everybody's motto is kind of like the good vibes only thing. And if you're negative or if you show negative emotion then you're weighing down everybody else. Or I think on the flip side too that if you are dealing with your negative thoughts then I have to deal with my negative thoughts. So together we just won't deal with it. But I think when you were saying about being like disabled and how people don't understand that, I think there's that stigma too. Where if the disabled person I continuously showcase myself as being positive and upbeat about everything that I do, then people can look at me and be like, well, she's an inspiration and every disabled person could act just like her and should be just as grateful and happy as she is, where I'm not someone who's happy and positive 24 seven and nobody should be or has to be even if they are going through something.
0: Yeah. And in fact, it, it can be dangerous to be so because you're suppressing those negative emotions that then can come out in other ways and health ways and mental illness and things like that. Why do you think toxic positivity is bad for mental, emotional health?
1: It's just never a good idea to completely ignore things that are bothering you. If we continuously try to say, oh, well, this bad thing happened and I'm just going to look at the bright side. I'm just going to move on and be happy and positive all the time. We're not digesting what happened to us. Like we're not going through the motions of dealing with whatever situation has occurred, whatever we're going through, whatever we've been through. And then that just sits in it and it weighs down and weighs down until you go crazy with it. You get too angry where you're going to blow up and hurt somebody else, you know, and your mental health can kind of keep declining and declining as that weighs on it. You need to learn how to digest the negativity and it's okay to feel sad and it's okay to cry and it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be jealous. Even simple things like the Pixar movie, like inside out, like the whole idea of that joy can't be the only person continuously running your life. It needs to be a mixture of it all.
0: Yeah. I, I love that reference. I'd really like to hear about like your journey and other times in your life, especially perhaps early on. And even now where you have caught yourself and you're like, actually, it's okay for me to feel all the feels like what I'm going through now is actually really difficult and I'm allowed to be upset or annoyed about it. It would be great to just just hear some of your own examples.
1: I really actually the other week I had a really bad health day. I was sick. It was a couple of days where I just wasn't on it. And especially just feeling like fatigued always weighs me down. I feel like I should be young and spunky all the time. And it was a really, really hard day. And I was trying so hard to kind of stomach it down and just get through. And it was my dad who saw that I was upset and he was like, why? Like, why are you like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. Like I'm just sick, and it's just buggy. He's like, you're, it's okay. Like you can be like it's you are. It's valid to be upset about this. You can be upset, and it's hard. I think sometimes to even realize it. To be like, okay, like let's just let's go through the motions a little bit, and let's do it. Hospital visits a lot are the same way. I try so hard to be upbeat and positive through like an ER experience when it's okay to like break down a little bit, and I've definitely cried in an ICU quite a few times while a nurse holds my hand and it was healthy. And that's what I needed to do at the time. Yeah. And I love that your dad was just like,
0: no, no, no chill. It's okay. <laughs> this is completely valid because sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves, right? We can be our own worst critics and we like, we should, we should be doing this, 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 or we should be feeling this, this, and this. So it's really important to have those outside influences that can be positive. That's probably not the right word, but like have that influence to allow you to just feel all the things what are some signs of toxic positivity in a relationship
1: i think especially with romantic relationships and it's definitely i think what i kind of computed to in my own brain anytime like your partners pushing you and not even romantic relationships with friendships and with family and stuff as well or even a relationship between like you and your doctor and they're pushing you to be happy or telling you that if you're upset then that's weighing on them and they don't want you to be upset because they don't want to be upset I think we see that a lot and almost as a form of manipulation that if you're sad, I'm sad, so you can't be sad anytime. And on the flip side, we need somebody who is going to be there for us when we are angry, when we are sad, when we're feeling negative things, and then we can be there for them when they have that too.
0: Yeah, good point. Exactly. And just for some people that this is a completely new term, toxic positivity, can you cite some examples of some statements that non-toxic and then accepting statements from the perspective of, I guess, a patient or someone with a chronic illness or someone that's going through a difficult time. Because often when we're on the consoling end, when we're with a loved one and we want to make them feel better, sometimes the statements that we say can be really unhelpful. And sometimes it's just because we're uneducated or because we just haven't really thought about how that's going to be heard from that person. But some examples would be really helpful.
1: Yeah, I think probably the most popular one is that it's okay to not be okay. And that's probably the first time I saw somebody give something that kind of counteracted the toxic positivity was it's okay to be not be okay. It's okay to feel bad things. It's okay to feel sick. It's okay to be down at the dumps that day. It's okay if your mental health isn't great right now. Or when I'm personally, I know if I'm having a sick day, the best thing any of my friends can say to me is, Hey, I'm here. Do you, do, what do you need for me? Like, what do you want me to do without having to tell me that I need to be feeling better about it or trying to push their own positivity onto it or give like any sort of unsolicited advice, just the, what can I do for you? What do you need for me? I'm here for you and yeah. saying, I'm here for you. I think sometimes it's just what we all need just to be heard.
0: Yeah, because in those times you can feel very much alone and isolated, right? Like you're going through it alone and certainly it is yourself going through it alone. But if you know that there's someone that's just there, just at arm's length and, you know, you can call on them, that can be really powerful for someone. Talk to us about body positivity and self-love, which is a huge movement on social media. Great to see. Do you think there is an element of this toxic positivity in some of these movements?
1: Absolutely, there it is. And I love body positivity. I love self love. It's, I think, a really great movement at its core. But it can definitely kind of become overbearing and toxic. And I think the biggest part is that it can push this idea that you have to be beautiful all the time, and that you have to be beautiful to have worth and that we place so much value in our physical appearance and it's great to be positive about your body it's great to feel that you are beautiful and all of that on the flip side you don't have to be beautiful you don't have to be aesthetically pleasing no one else can validate your body and who you are except for yourself and it's not just about your outer appearance it's about who you are as a person and on the inside and the value should be placed just as much there as it would be anybody or anywhere else
0: yeah, that's a really interesting perspective because I'm hearing this change of conversation, especially with young girls where their mums or the teachers and things aren't saying things like, oh, you look so pretty in that dress or I love that outfit. They're saying more things like, you know, you're so smart and things like that. But then when I think about like body positivity, it's still very much focused on that aesthetic appearance of a body. It's like we haven't yet taken that conversation to okay well what are your values and what are some you know nice things that you do for family or what are your skill set and what kind of do you offer to the world or what do you offer to yourself so it'll be interesting in the next few years if we see that there's a little bit of a change in that conversation from still being quite aesthetically focused to actually talking about what's the inside and and having that movement and that conversation more around there I'd really like to talk about coming back to your Instagram account and some of the experiences that you've had. And I'd love to just hear about some of the connections you've made, some of the fun times, some of the surprising things that you didn't think was ever going to happen about just starting an Instagram account.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize how big the community was there until I dove headfirst into it. People like Christine Doherty, who also has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, I watched on YouTube, And then eventually connected with her on my Instagram account. And of course, I was like fangirling. So I'm like, I've been watching you on YouTube for the past few years. And now you're like messaging me. I have worked with companies like Stay Beautiful Foundation, which help give makeup products to women going through cancer. And they've been a fantastic resource in helping me. And I love to be able to provide stuff for them because they do really great work. I was able to get my pounding vest machine that I used for my breathing because of Instagram. My insurance didn't approve it. It would have been about 10 grand elsewise, but I posted about it on my Instagram and there was a girl who was getting rid of her. She couldn't use it anymore. And I was able to just pay for the shipping of it and got it for free. Wow. It's amazing
0: when you put yourself out there and you
1: ask for something. It's like- Fantastic. I mean, that today like still blows my mind that that was something that I probably never was able to have that has been a huge help to my health. And I was able to get it because I talked about it on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, it's just
0: incredible. Here we are. We all think we have to be (laughs) so independent, can't ask anyone for help. But then the moment that we do and we're authentic about it, there's always someone that Either doesn't need something or they actually want to help you, or it's really, really amazing. And it's just about being bold and I guess being comfortable enough to accept the gifts that are out there.
1: Well, I think that's kind of the great thing about overcoming that toxic positivity is that I'm now comfortable talking about the things that are bad and being like, yeah, you know what, guys, I can't afford this you know, medical machine that I need. And I think a lot of people relate to things like that are talking about having a little bit of a mental breakdown in an ICU. And I posted a photo of me crying in the ICU. And there's a lot of people who understood what that moment felt like and could relate to that. And I got to connect with them and they got to connect with me and we all got to sit down and digest those kind of feelings.
0: Yeah, that's so special that you can do it as a community. And it's interesting, we're having a conversation with a dermatologist in a few weeks time. And that is about how social media and how COVID-19 across the world has really put us in front of our screens more so they're noticing in the aesthetics field that people are getting they're receiving different requests that they haven't before because there's this like this huge amount of people especially really young people that trying to strive for this perfectionism and we're seeing this really negative impact of social media but then on the flip side it's like look at all this like connection and these These younger people that might be coming through and they've got um, similar things that you have and that you talk about, and they've got a role model, they've got someone that you can kind of walk in their footsteps. So it's just really interesting how there's always a flip side to everything, right? Always a kind of light, dark in between and everything, all many, many different colors. So, has your journey, you mentioned that you studied, I'm not sure if you're still studying, but has it affected or? impacted or like made you choose a certain career path or a certain um,
1: journey for your life based on the experiences that you've had? Oh, definitely. I originally went to college very first for musical theater, which requires a lot of physical activity that my body no longer was able to produce And I was so kind of hooked on the idea that I kind of stayed in theater more in production side. I stage managed, I worked for New York Fashion Week for a couple circuit runs, and it was great, but there's a lot of it that I couldn't keep up with anymore. It's late hours, it's not very consistent, it tends to be a lot of physical work, and that listening to my body part kind of kicked in and I had a switch, which eventually I went into marketing and found my love for Instagram through my own account and eventually went into digital marketing and that's what I do now. Amazing, that's really cool. And do you work with specific types of brands? I started out doing like small businesses and that's kind of where I like to be. I've done a couple like larger firms, fashion I love, I love to do, but any sort of small business, any sort of startup, especially like local stuff, I really like to be able to work for local small business-esque
0: yeah, wonderful. And what is next for Chronically Kayla on Instagram account? And do you have collaborations and things coming up? What's 2021 looking like?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing more work with the Say Beautiful Foundation. I'm going to continue to do more reels and little videos with them. So I'm really excited to continue on with that work. I work with Mighty Well, and I am about to get their Valentine's Day like face mask. I've never been so excited to re- receive like face masks in the mail, but I know it has a heart on it. So I'm pumped about it. And then I am hoping to eventually start my own podcast to just kind of continue that talk on living with chronic illness.
0: Yes, amazing. Definitely do it. And when you do, make sure you let us know so that we can share it with the community as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: Other accounts or even brands, you mentioned that you really love the fashion industry. Are there certain brands that you really think it? doing the right thing in terms of diversity inclusion and just having these types of conversations?
1: Yeah. There's a company called Slick Chicks who I just got a pair of underwear from, but they do adaptable underwear. So they clip on the sides. So if you're in a wheelchair or have mobility issues, it's easy to be able to take them on and off. It's such a simple thing, but it's not something that a lot of people think about having. And I know they just moved into Bloomingdale's. So it's huge to see something that's right, something that's (laughs) diversity inclusive, that's inclusive to people of all different skin tones and ethnicities, and all being included in a really great product that's going to help a lot of people. How
0: cool! We will be putting that link in the show notes. Not sure if they're available here in Australia, but I do know that we have listeners from all over the globe so very cool and it's really nice to see those bigger department stores also catching on as well because of course diversity inclusion is really really important but then from a business perspective it's like it's a no-brainer because it they actually have commercial interest of it if, if you're not providing these products and services then you're cutting out potential clients which is just completely ridiculous so I think it's really important from all aspects to ensure that business is inclusive on all fronts as, as much as possible. What are some of your favorite resources on the topic of what we've previously discussed about like toxic positivity and, and that type of thing?
1: Of course. I mean, doing research on it, it's a lot of like good, like just like psychology today writes a lot of really great articles that are kind of the technical side of exactly why toxic positivity doesn't work in our brains and why it's important to have negative emotions. But it's also really important to hear it from, of course, like community members. I personally really like, I've been getting into TikTok. So wheelchair Rapunzel is a disabled creator. She is in a power chair who is fantastic I continuously like crushing down the narrative that you have to be happy and positive and overly nice because you're disabled, and of course she does it in a way that's super entertaining and very funny. But the point is really driven home, and she does it in a way that is accessible to so many audiences who aren't just disabled people. Okay, that's really
0: good to know. It's good to have different accounts and all these new platforms. So if you're a TikTok fan, jump on board. (laughs) And where can people find more about you, Kayla?
1: Yeah. So I can be found at chronically.kayla on Instagram and TikTok and Kayla on Twitter.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us all the way from close to New York City, completely different time zones days, but it was just really awesome to be able to connect of with course. you today. And thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening in to another episode of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I absolutely loved this conversation with Kayla and toxic positivity is something that I've done a lot of research in over the last several years. I think it's a really interesting concept. I've asked several people if they know what toxic positivity is and many don't. So I really hope that you've learned something from this episode. It might be a case that we can look within and perhaps see times where we've been a a bit toxic positive um, in certain situations or maybe we're seeing it in situations kind of in our uh, friendship groups, in our workplaces, etc. So I hope that it was really educational, informative for you. I look forward to bringing you another episode of the Heal Thy Skin podcast shortly. Until then, be skin powered.